Southbound lanes are congested from Castroville up to Los Lomas. After that is clear into Santa Cruz. For weather, it's 71 degrees out right now and time for Planet Watch. Hello and welcome to Planet Watch, big solutions to Earth-sized problems. I'm Rachel Ann Goodman. And I'm Joe Jordan. And today on the program, a conversation with Catherine O'Day, director of Save Our Shores, a local environmental organization that has made national waves as a staunch advocate for our oceans. She'll update us on recent news regarding threats to the marine sanctuaries, drilling, and also legislation aimed to stave off the worst attacks on our oceans. We have a podcast to which you can subscribe for free at our website, planetwatchradio.com. So that's all one word. How many letters? 16 letters? Planetwatchradio.com. And we'd like to thank MZ uh, for sponsoring this program on local radio station KSCO AM Santa Cruz. And a special welcome to our listeners in North Carolina and Ohio and sometimes West Virginia. Before we go to our interview, here's a roundup of science and environment news with some of our interns, Maya Rodriguez and Tommy Martin. I think we'll start uh, with Tommy, so you're on. <laughs> like the fabled Greek myth of Icarus, NASA launched the Parker probe yesterday, aiming for the sun. Approaching 430,000 miles per hour, the probe is the fastest man-made object ever launched. At, the, at that speed, the probe will make its first flyby in late September, eventually coming within 3.8 million miles of the sun. The probe weighs about 1,400 pounds, about the size of a small car, and has a heat shield made of 4.5-inch 4 inch thick carbon composite foam material. That shield will come in handy as it attempts to uncover the mystery of the sun's atmosphere, or corona, which it will pass through repeatedly. This journey will, requi will require the heat shield to endure temperatures of 2,500 degrees protecting the four data-collecting instruments on board from conditions hotter than lava. The probe is named for Dr. Eugene Parker, the scientist who discovered a phenomenon called the solar wind, energy particles given off by the sun. That makes it the first NASA spacecraft named after a living person. Very hmm. cool. Do you know that person, you, who it was named after, Joe? You no, don't really know anything about him. But uh, there is one thing, uh, you know, sometimes you hear these big numbers. Okay, it's going to go within 3.8 million miles of the sun. Well, what does that mean? Well, okay, just for reference, the sun's average distance from the Earth is about 93 million miles. So, you know, roughly 4 million out of 93 million. And the sun itself is 864,000 miles in diameter, so roughly a little under 1 million miles. So, so this spacecraft's going to go about four suns out from from the center of the sun. Well, it really couldn't get any closer now, could it? It would burn <laughs> up. We haven't figured out technology that will let us send something directly into the sun, and that's why we don't know about as much about it as yeah. we would like to. And I just have to get a riff here. Uh, Tommy said conditions hotter than lava. I just came from lava yesterday. I was on lava yesterday, but it was frozen lava. Um, in Hawaii, the big island of Hawaii. And, um, well, at some point on a beach, a family had dumped out a cooler full of ice cubes on the hot sand in the hot sun. And so I got my spiritual courage on and took deep breaths and said, I'm going to walk across hot colds. 
hot, oh. cold ice cubes. Anyway, so I did that. Did, did you get I'm transformed. To the actual I'm lava, trans- Joe, when you Yeah, yeah, uh, some, uh, you know, actual flowing lava. Although Kilauea, we had an interview about that a few weeks ago. It's kind of slowed down now. But still a lot of fog in that, you know, yeah. volcanic fog. I walked within, I think, 30 feet of some active lava, and it was so hot, even 30 or 40 feet away, that your eyelashes started to singe. You could not get much closer, and I think it was about 3,000 degrees, something like that. Mm-hmm. So that spacecraft's going to go where no spacecraft has gone before. And hopefully make it <laughs> back to tell us something yeah. about what happened. Well, here's another story for you. Although global warming may not cause more fires, the ones that are blazing in California right now are bigger burn longer and are more extreme because of climate change. Noah Diffenbaugh researches the connection between climate and extreme weather as a professor of earth system science at Stanford University. He said the longer fire season in California is related to climate change because global warming caused by greenhouse gas emissions has increased the average temperature by almost two degrees Fahrenheit. A prolonged drought has also stressed forests and dried fuels, which has added to the extreme fire picture. A record-setting 129 million trees on 8.9 acres were dead at the end of last year because of the state's drought, according to the U.S. Forest Service. Currently, the Mendocino Fire is the largest fire in California history, and eight people were killed in the Redding Fire alone. Currently, nine major wildfires are blazing across the state. And... uh Another report from yesterday, as we approached the mainland from the southwest, you could see this huge pall of clouds of, you know, forest fire smoke uh, coming from all over here. And that scientist who Rachel just mentioned, Noah Diefenbaugh of Stanford, he did his graduate work here at UC Santa Cruz, a pretty cool guy. He was part of the team uh, that came up with the RRR as the ridiculously resilient ridge of high pressure that's been hanging out over the Northeast Pacific Ocean, which is actually partly responsible for these prolonged droughts we've been having. We're going to have him on the show here uh, sometime soon to talk about all this stuff. One thing that, you know, if there's any silver lining, which it's hard to see any silver lining to California's catastrophic fires, it's that Finally, the news media seems to be getting the fact that this is not normal. It's not even the new normal. In fact, Jerry Brown said this is the new normal. And they said, I think it was uh, Michael Mann, the famous climate Mm -hmm. scientist, corrected him and said, with all due respect, um, that's assuming we reach a point in temperature and it stops. That's not what's happening. It's just continuing to go up. So we need to do everything we can to prevent it from going up further and faster so that we can live in this beautiful state we're in and take care of it properly. And, and actually, just one other thought. Uh, the airplane yesterday hit the coast right at Pigeon Point. We went right over the lighthouse, but I didn't realize that until later. But then we're going across all this vast timberland. And I was almost thinking we were up in Mendocino or something, except there would be fire there. But we got a lot of redwood and evergreen forest around here that so far has escaped. <laughs> Let's hope it stays that way. Yes. Well, we have another story from Maya Rodriguez for you today. Water off the San Diego coast is breaking heat records. According to researchers at Scripps Institute of Oceanography at the University of California, San Diego, Southern California experienced its warmest sea surface temperatures since 1916. 
On August 1st, oceanographers logged the record-breaking temperature of 78.6 degrees Fahrenheit, beating the previous record of 78.4 degrees Fahrenheit, which was set back in 1931. According to the Washington Post, the new record was shortly broken again with a temperature of 78.8 degrees Fahrenheit. Scientists at Scripps Institute stated that this is consistent with the extreme weather of 2018, going on to say that records related to heat and intense weather will become easier to break due to human-caused climate change. Yeah, it's amazing. You can imagine almost 80 degrees in San Diego, which is something you would see more in Hawaii than in California and the Pacific, in this side of the Pacific anyway. Well, that is a perfect segue into the interview we're um, going to do with Catherine O'Day. She is a nonprofit leader, conservationist, and sustainability expert. She has tackled environmental challenges from coast to coast for the last 25 years. And she has worked for environmental organizations, including Business Social Responsibility, Green Blue, and Nantucket Conservation Foundation. Catherine's an expert on product and packaging sustainability and identifying pathways for abating plastic waste, which comprises so much of the debris in our marine environments. So welcome to Planet Watch. Uh, Catherine, thank you for coming over on a Sunday. Well, thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. And uh, let's mention to our listeners a way they can communicate with you during the interview. So if they have questions or comments for you, they can send it either through Facebook, which we're on. Yeah. Or maybe somebody will have a question that I have, which I'll ask for for later. What is green blue or what was green blue? But anyway, here's how you can send a question or a comment to us during this interview and even the rest of the show and in between shows. You just email the address radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. So it's a little confusing. Our website is planetwatchradio.com. But our email address, which you can use right now, is radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And you're listening to Planet Watch right here on your local public radio station. So, Catherine, Save Our Shores was instrumental in founding the Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary, one of the biggest, I believe, marine sanctuaries in the United States. How are efforts to protect that going? We heard a few months back and had an interview about efforts to shrink the marine sanctuary. So how's that going? Yeah, well, that's a really interesting uh, question because we're, we're still trying to figure that out. So it was back in early 2017 that this administration decided to put all of the sanctuaries that had been established or expanded over the last 10 years under review with the possibility of shrinking them back to original size or not allowing them to be a sanctuary uh, any longer. And so that directive, executive order actually, uh, affected all four of our California sanctuaries, including our Monterey Bay National Marine Sanctuary. And we joined with others across the state to do an incredibly uh, powerful letter-writing campaign, petitioning campaign, uh, sent in thousands, hundreds of thousands of comments to NOAA and the Department of Commerce. We heard towards the end of last year that uh, some recommendations had been sent up to the administration from Department of Commerce and NOAA. Only that's never been made public. So we're sitting here waiting to know the fate, in our case, of the Davidson Seamount, which was added to the sanctuary back in late 20, 
7 or 2008. Not exactly sure of the date there, but within that 10-year period for the review. Just in case case people are wondering, a seamount is an underwater mountain. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're valuable just as geological formations, but especially uh, marine life really hangs out. A lot of interesting stuff goes on around those. Any other things about seamounts? Yeah, I mean, what's special about the Davidson Seamount is that it's only about 74 miles offshore. A lot of them are a lot further out than that. And so this one, our seamount, we actually are able to access for marine research uh, and things like that. So it's a really valuable piece of our sanctuary. Um, You know, the scary thing is while the review of the sanctuary is mostly to find whether there might be places for oil and gas drilling, and it's largely thought that the Davidson Seamount wouldn't be um, good for that usage, Seamounts often have valuable mineral deposits, um, many things that are used in our electronics industry. And so our fear is that they might want to reject that from the sanctuary protection so that they could explore for precious metals and minerals. And when will the news come down about that, about any final decision? You have no idea, right? We have no idea. You know, so a couple months ago, I applied for and received a small grant from the Rose Foundation. They have a program for, like, it's like an emergency program to protect our precious resources and um, public lands and, uh, you know, monuments, including national water monuments and things. And so I I applied to because the sanctuary issue has been somewhat buried by the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management's task of opening up our most of the U.S. coast to potential new oil and gas leases. And so that sort of overshadowed the sanctuary issue that had never been settled yet. So I got this grant to allow us to kind of revive interest in the sanctuary issue and protection of our our seamount. And we've been campaigning to, uh, you know, try and shake loose any decisions that were made. Uh, We have a petition on our website that you can sign. We hope to send that into Department of Commerce, uh, the NOAA administration, as well as um, Interior Secretary Zinke, sort of the, not NOAA, but the the Ross Zinke, Pruitt's gone, yay. <laughs> Wheeler may be worse. Um, you he, know, in is Perry. he the interim EPA chief? Wheeler, yeah. So, I mean... If you look at the aggregate of all the things that are happening about the environment, including oceans uh, policy, but there's an all-out assault on the environmental Mm -hmm. laws of this country. All-out. I mean, it's on every single front. It's not one area like the marine sanctuary. It's drilling, logging. And we just heard today, I just read today, that um, the the Endangered Species Act is under attack. So if you like elephants or any endangered species, salmon, um, just add, you know, those to the mm-hmm. list. Um, what they want to do is they want to stack up the worth of the animal against the monetary value of the property it lives on. And if there's money to be made on that property, then the animal doesn't get listed as threatened. Right. So it it makes us feel threatened ourselves as a species to hear these stories. And then we'll go through a couple more. And, of course, we're going to get to what can you do? What can you do to help fight back? Because... Obviously, we need a planet to live on that is not devoid of all other species except humans.
and we are going to win, by the way. There are grave threats, but we're going to win. But anyway, uh, I just, uh, Rachel just mentioned elephants, and I just realized a couple hours ago, today is World Elephant Day. Really? So happy World Elephant happy Day. Happy World Elephant and Day. And we all love <laughs> our elephants, and they are vanishing all too fast, And but we're going to win with this one and all these other ones. A really interesting example of elephants, too, and how environmental protections can hinge on just one love of one species. When Trump tried to lift the ivory ban he had, on hunting of elephants, there's a huge international outcry, and he backed off of it, mm -hmm. even though his sons like to hunt, and there's big pictures of them with elephants. Right, and he's, he's still and allowing leopards. trophies to come back into the country, which, again, I think is primarily for his sons, the... It's like running the country as your own caliphate. I mean, as your own private, you know, family business, basically, yeah. to benefit your family, which is never how it was supposed to be. So I hope we can turn that one around. Yeah, and it's just amazing that the Republican-dominated Congress allows them to continue to, I think, violate the very nature of governance in this country. The, the thing way it's I have supposed to, keep, to be. thing I have to keep wondering is, don't these guys have kids you know and grandkids they do I mean, what are they going to leave for them the kids you like know? to hunt that's what they like to do and they <laughs> okay. like to, yeah and then so. a couple <laughs> generations down there's nothing left but anyway right but and we all need a we all need a planet we all need an ocean we all need atmosphere to breathe and to be in denial that um species are going down and to, of all the science is to basically consign your kids to a future without these animals or the ocean where they can go swimming, yeah. where there's nothing left. Yeah, but, you know, to care, you have to have a heart. <laughs> I'm not sure that, you know, many of the folks in D.C. today have either a heart or a soul. Well, you know, also, or I think it's a, matter of, it's a matter of education. Uh, probably a lot of those poor souls who are unfortunately in control uh, were never... <laughs> shown the wonders of nature they never really got a chance to play i mean i'm just speculating but i i know that that's kind of the way things work you know if you get out there like rachel and i and others in here have all done you know you you develop a love uh, that is fierce right. and will make you do whatever it takes to protect things yeah. and some of these people who don't give a damn well obviously they never experienced it they just yeah. don't know what they and their children are going to miss yeah. well, i'd and like to circle back to save our shores and, yeah, and the yeah. great work you do because your volunteers get to get out on the beach and they pick up trash regularly um and they see the kind of harm that's being done firsthand and of course they care enough to do that um talk a little bit about the education you do around these issues you know sure. both of trash uh just plastic waste and yeah. other things that get people fired up enough to work on the legislative side because there's obviously if we just clean up the trash it won't yeah. solve the problem yeah. there's more trash coming down the pike and you guys right. are working to prevent it at its source so yeah talk about that piece of work you do i mean i want to get back to drilling and the monument because i don't think we finished that conversation but yeah but you know the the Education, I think, is sort of fundamental. If we're really going to change things, we, we have to educate people, and it starts with the kids. But we also have a lot of adults who need sort of a refresher on, you know, environmental, an environmental ethos. But we do, we get volunteers out. We do almost 300 cleanups a year across the entire Monterey Bay from... Um, mostly we, we operate from Davenport down to 
uh, Asilomar and we're out cleaning the beaches during the week, on the weekends. We go into classrooms and we bring them alternative science education and we almost always follow that up with a field trip and we get the kids out to the beach. And it is still amazing how many of those kids when we go to schools in Paro Valley and Salinas have never been to the beach and they live one to 10 miles from it. (laughs) And so if we can't get those kids onto our shores, they're never going to have the understanding it's, you know, goes back to what you said, Joe. If they don't grow up experiencing our environment, they don't gain that appreciation. You know, this actually reminds me, a couple other wonderful guests we'll have on one of these days are, <clears throat> they have established a foundation in Rwanda, you know, protecting the gorillas and everything and, and educating the children in that area about their priceless resource right down the... Yeah. Most of those kids have never been in to the mm-hmm. national park that they live a mile from. Right, uh, They right. don't even know what's in there. Yeah. So anyway, that the education thing yeah. is... is so I have this dream, and we need a whole lot more resources before we can have it, but um, some of you, not you two... <laughs> Maybe you too. Remember the doors. And, and there's one song they did. Uh, I think it's actually part of the, the song, The End, which is a pretty wild song. But um, there's a piece in there about the blue bus, if you remember. <laughs> the blue bus is calling us. And this <laughs> dream that we'll have, we could have a blue bus, you know, save our shores, adventures to the shore, to take those kids who don't ever get to go to the beach Gosh, just keep does... running that you know like three four times a week and get kids from the schools in salinas and even up over over the hill into the central valley you know as those kids come in the summer once maybe in their entire life this is an uncanny resemblance to the late great Ken Norris's natural history field quarter program for right. college students where he would take them out into the wilds on a blue bus. And Rachel and I have each had lots of experience with that. But anyway. And it so. does change your life forever to have just one encounter with an animal or some amazing experience in nature to yeah. change your entire perspective on If I could just it. tell a favorite story kids on the beach and you know so we had a field trip out and the kids were walking the beach and happened to be a stranded whale on this particular day and so you know our program staff used it as a a teaching opportunity and they talked to the kids about where the whale came from why it might be on the beach what they could learn you know that that the rescue teams were going to come and and they would investigate what happened and what could be learned and one kid according to my staff member his eyes got as big as saucers and he goes you can really make a living researching whales you know and that's exactly the kind of thing we want to inspire that these kids grow up and they go to UCSC and and other great universities with oceanography and marine sciences programs and they come out and they continue to be stewards of our most precious of all resources no ocean no life you know uh dan hayfley who we interviewed uh, a few couple months back in january and i think we replayed that show just last week uh talking about the protection of our coast from you know oil drilling and all the other threats he um 
he worked, he was the head. He founded Save Our Shores, or one of the founders that you are with now, and he um, has lately been working, and I think just retired from uh, the O'Neill Sea Odyssey, which is a program that takes kids out, you know, yeah. on sailboats and educates them all about the marine environment. Yeah, and a lot of those kids, it's the first time they've ever seen the ocean, and they get to experience on the incredible O'Neill Sea Odyssey Named for for the late, great Jack O'Neill, you know, the guy who invented the wetsuit practically and then wore a patch on his eye because he got pranged by a surfboard once a long time ago. He's passed now, but it's a great legacy that he left. So let's let's, uh, move from educating people who, you know, firsthand and individual, one at a time or in small groups, to collective legislative action. Um, tell me, I mean, Save Our Shores is one small, mighty organization that's, you know, started the Marine Sanctuary. That's a huge accomplishment. And now it does all these cleanups and education. But you're also working in the, the part of, you know, the, the behind the scenes, what they call sausage making, where <laughs> people try to either trip up the evil ones who are trying to kill our environment or they try to advance protections um, in various ways. So what's happening on that front and who are you working with to try to fight back against what's a many-pronged onslaught at this yeah. point? Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. Is it is a many-pronged onslaught that comes at us fast and furious. You know, I mean, I have to say it's something that's really taxing our budget as almost every week there's something new we need to react to, we need to respond to, we need to, you know, build a, a groundswell of, of educated citizens about things that are coming out of D.C. But That's a tactic, too, actually, mm-hmm. that they're doing, which yeah. is an all-points assault so that they exhaust the, their opponent. It's, it's uh, interestingly yeah. effective. And while we're all focused on what just happened last week, he's getting something else going under the radar screen that flies under the radar. And we can talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, right now, Save Our Shores locally is, I think, really leading the way in terms of keeping our citizens educated and aware of the things that are happening, giving them opportunities to call their legislators both locally and in D.C. to write letters, to come out to rallies and protests. And we're part of a larger statewide coalition. The um, It's called Protect the Pacific Coalition. And I think there's about 30 organizations across the state. Other groups, um, you know, similar to ours, like Heal the Bay down in um, Southern California, and then some of the larger organizations that have California offices like Environmental Defense Fund and Natural Resource Defense Council and um, Oceana. And so all these groups have come together, Center for Biological Diversity. And we meet uh, by phone generally uh, every two weeks to strategize how to respond to these different issues that are they're coming down the pike, coming out, coming out of D.C., um, you know, we've, as a coalition, uh, back in February, had a statewide protest day. And some of you may have come out when uh, Save Our Shores did a march from Lighthouse Point to Cowell. We had a bagpiper leading the march. We marched right onto the beach and filled in letters that had been dug out in the sand, spelling no drilling. And, um, you know, we had over a thousand people who who marched and then, then filled that sign. I, I was one of them. Yeah. I think I and was I believe part- uh, Tommy was one of them, too. Tommy, you were there, weren't you? 
Yeah, oh, yeah. I was there. What was your impression? You, you're a, a student of journalism and politics. Do you think that protests like that make a difference? Yeah, to an extent. I think that more of them need to be organized. Obviously, one march doesn't change an issue as big as this, but there, like you said, there's been so many marches and so many things that we've been tackling. It's kind of hard to stay focused on one thing, it seems. I got a question for you, though. Um, you know, what about protests or, you know, celebrations or big education pushes in the heartland, far from the shore? A lot of those people like to go to the beach. They treasure those times when they can go to the beach. Um, did you ever do stuff That's that reaches out to really them? really great question and great point. And, um, you know, a former director of Save Our Shores, Vicki Nichols, who uh, followed Dan Hayfley, was with Save Our Shores maybe a, a decade. She left. Uh, her husband got a professorship, and they left California. She's now in Colorado, and she started the Inland Ocean Coalition, hmm. specifically for things like that, to get those people kind of in the heartland who still love the ocean and who recognize that all our great rivers and streams eventually flow into some part of our ocean, be it the Gulf of Mexico or the Pacific or the Atlantic. And so she's running this coalition that helps those people contribute to uh, saving our most precious resource and understanding how that, that, you know, it's the whole system. It's this very integrated ecosystem of waterways that all end up in the same place. And so... Yeah, they have an opportunity also to protect our, our coasts. But, you know, to your point of one protest isn't going to quite cut it, we're planning another action sometime in the fall. It's still coming together, so I don't really want to say too much about it, but it's probably going to address the, the four most egregious things that this administration has come up with yet, the first being... You know, still trying to find out what, if anything, is going to happen to our sanctuaries, fighting the offshore oil and gas drilling threat, the renewed threat, um, the repeal of our national ocean policy, which Trump did while we were all focused on the immigration uh, horror story of separating children. He got that in under the radar. And then, um, more recently, the, the gutting of the Magnuson-Stevens Act, which is what has given us sustainable fisheries and sustainable fisheries management, and that's all being taken away um, for the same reasons he's been doing everything else, economic development. It's all about the money and not the resources. That last one is the fisheries in the oceans in particular? or mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, I mean, this all goes back to campaign finance reform in my book and mm -hmm. really um, capitalism at its worst. Um, rampant, you know, free market capitalism, not, not the friendlier kind where people pool their resources through their taxes to make the world better. We're seeing um, kind of an end stage extreme oligarchy happening where you get these extremely rich billionaires donating to campaigns and then people like Donald Trump get elected and do what that oligarchy wants, which they think they want, mm -hmm. which is complete unfettered access to the resources right. of the country for their private gain. Not, by the way, for raising wages or employing people or making the environment better, but simply 
to feather their private family right. nest, which is a amoral position or immoral position if you look at it, because it's only for a very few people, the 1% benefiting, mm-hmm. not the average person. And this oligarch in particular has also filled his cabinet with people who not only have the same me, myself, and I value system, but have actually you know, brought suit against the administrations that they're running. You know, Pruitt had sued the EPA 14 times before he was named the head of it. Before he was shamed out of his position for (laughs) horrible corruption and and feathering his own nest privately from government funds. That's another story. He's gone. Now there's some other guy in there, but I'm sure that guy's going to have the same. You know, but he's gone, but we still have Zinke in interior, and all he's interested in is in, you know, just taking back all those national monuments, land-based monuments, for oil and gas drilling. They've just recently opened up for leasing um, parts of the uh, Grand Staircase, um, you know, one of the monuments that there's been so much... Bill Clinton created, I believe. Well, like Rachel just said, you know, a a big root part of this problem, the root problem is the whole campaign finance thing, but you said the word actions a bit ago. We're going to be gearing up for a new action. We're not going to talk too much about it yet, but it's going to be an action. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, okay, I'm hoping it's legislative, policy, organized, and then the other big root thing is the media. You know, what Mm -hmm. gets into people's brains anyway? How do you capture people's hearts and minds and get them organized to kick some ass out there and straighten things out and make the world a better place. It's the media. And so, you know, one thing people can do (laughs) is to fund really good, intelligent, wise media. And by the way, we haven't done our Patreon pitch for a long time, but this show, (laughs) you can do a crowdfunding thing through Patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N slash forward slash planet underscore watch. (laughs) And you can donate a little or a lot every month and you can cancel whenever you want. Anyway, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, forward slash planet underscore watch. (laughs) We appreciate any donations you might see fit to send our way so that we can grow this empire of truth and fun. So anyway. and, and, And if you look back in our archives, we have several shows we did with experts in climate change communication who who are really good at understanding how do we talk about such a difficult issue like Mm -hmm. climate change or the oceans dying without making people either despair or deny it. Those are the two extreme reactions. And they have some very good methodologies that they are implementing to put the message out in a way that can be digested by um, the average person who hasn't Mm -hmm. given it a lot of thought. And one thing Save Our Shores has just done, um, we've been planning it for a while, but we launched in June, in honor of World Oceans Day, uh, a climate change info hub, which is geared just really at looking at the impact climate change is having on our Monterey Bay and our community. And so it's a very interactive web-based site. We have videos, documentaries, interviews with people like Gary Griggs and Charles Lester, who was the former head of the uh, well, Coastal both of Commission, whom have been guests on this show. No, well, Indeed, not Gary Patton yet, but hopefully. <laughs> well, she said Gary Griggs. Gary, oh, Gary Griggs, Griggs. Yeah. yeah, but Gary, Gary Patton's another good one. Yeah. Um, 
And we're going to have games for kids of all ages on there, uh, curriculum for teachers. And where online can people find that? Uh, go to our website, and there is a link to our info hub. Which is? Uh, www.saveourshores.org. And we are talking with Catherine O'Day, the director of Save Our Shores. This is Planet Watch with Rachel Ann Goodman and Joe Jordan. And we're... if you want to email us, <laughs> radioplanetwatch at gmail.com. And Tommy, we have a question from our listener. We do. Um, maybe your guests, Save Our Shores, could encourage Santa Cruz County municipalities to reinstall streetcars to the beach from Watsonville. Mm-hmm. I have noticed a lot of traffic. When I if you were around yesterday, you really noticed it. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't. I was over the vast oceans. Yeah, traffic is getting insane. I leave my house. I love to boogie board on in Manresa, and it, it's starting to take a good 40 minutes to get from Capitola to Manresa on a Sunday afternoon. But in, in any case, uh, yeah, I mean, one of the things we do a lot of work with is our city council and our board of supervisors. And, you know, I think that's a great question or comment as we're in this whole rail, trail, trail only, rail only, freight on a rail conversations and discussions. We really don't have great public transportation here and pretty much none of it goes to the beach or the ocean. Actually, we, though, we I just have to look to at that. something that's very related and it's also a plug for what we're doing next week on this show. We got this really <laughs> cool electric bike share program in town now. The people who are right behind that are going to be our interview guests next week. So I was stuck tuned. in traffic yesterday. I, I, don't, I somehow got in Westcliff Beach traffic on the way in right in the thick of it near the boardwalk and I I was thinking why didn't I remember it was Saturday (laughs) and all these red bikes were whizzing by Mm us that were the electric bikes so they were like ha ha they're having a lot of fun those bikes are fun to ride and I see so many of them at the beaches Mm -hmm. you know at Twin Lakes um 26 at the end of 26 at the point i was actually wondering I had another reason why I have to go way out of the county after this but um I think I could have ridden it to this station because this is within the zone. It's within the city limits of Santa Cruz. I think Capitola starts at, what, 40, 41st, 38th or yeah. Anyway, so. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, back to um, other things that people can do, either individually or collectively. Um, what are some of the Save Our Shores top three um, top action three. items to save your ocean yeah. for the future generations? Well, you know, volunteering is probably the best thing that you can do. Get out and help us clean a beach, help us with our education programs. Um, You know, we're expanding opportunities for our volunteers all the time. Uh, Our annual coastal cleanup, where we'll be cleaning up 75 sites, is September 15th. That's coming up. Yeah, it's like our deep cleanse after the big summer (laughs) season. Is that a nationwide event that people could plug into? It's actually international. Um, It was started many years ago by Ocean Conservancy, and people organize in groups all over the world and Save Our Shores has the honor of organizing for sort of from Half Moon Bay down to Julia Pfeiffer State Park uh, in Big Sur. Um, and if our listeners in Columbus want to take a trip to the beach and help on the East Coast or uh, our listeners in North Carolina, some of you could take a short drive from Carborough all the way out to the beach at the Outer Banks and help clean the beach. Absolutely. Got a couple of weeks to plan. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, I would say 
Paying attention, uh, watching our website um, for new petitions and opportunities to participate in letter writing campaigns or come out and give public comment when, when we're talking to city councils or the board of supervisor about new legislation um, or passing resolutions around what's happening in D.C., but also we continue to, um, you know, petition for smarter environmental policies around plastic and plastic pollution mitigation. So that's another great way people can get involved. And then just, you know, stopping to think and read some of the tips on our, our new info hub of how you can help reduce your own carbon footprint. Simple things like riding your bike or taking one of those red jump bikes um do that to ride to work instead of getting in your car you know think about um think about the car kind of car you buy um those sorts of things everybody can do a little bit remembering to shut off lights turn off your computer you know those kinds of things and how about seafood that's one big area we haven't really covered and probably yeah. can in the five minutes we have left but let's talk a little bit about shopping choices do consumers have the power to save certain species of fish by not buying them following Ooh, certain guidelines you know that's a really hard question because everything is a global market today you know we just uh co-sponsored a conference on the potential benefits of aquaculture and exploring how it could be done in a responsible way in california that would respect californians values and there was an astonishing fact that came out at this conference that 90% of the seafood we eat here in California is imported, largely from China, Vietnam, Japan. Wow. And we're importing the sort of low end, you know, the farm-raised tilapia, and that's what we're willing to pay for. And we're shipping over to China in their new emerging middle class the good, healthy, wild-raised lobsters and uh, you know shrimp and crab that we all love here also but we're shipping that out and we have a 15 well you know I should have written a better note 15 million or 15 billion dollar trade deficit with China just around seafood hmm. so you know the choices you make in the market it's hard to say if that's gonna you know protect our endangered salmon here um, because while we might kind of mitigate spending or purchasing and, and hope to control that market. We're shipping it huh. to China well, and, you Well, know. so that, you know, that there's this push to get restaurants to offer locally sourced food, and that's getting to be a more popular thing that could have powerful economic yep. push. And, well, to do the same, not just for land food, but for seafood, yep. insist. Get everybody insisting that, hey, you know, we're just not going to patronize you unless you're dealing in fish that's, you know, from around here. And, uh, I mean, of course, there are limits to that. We might fish out the resource around here. But, but uh, you know, there are ways to do this. But I think mm. people aren't even looking in that direction yet. Maybe. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, farm-to-table has become very popular. And, you know, um, with aquaculture, there's, you know, we do have some good shellfish aquaculture here and, and some seaweed aquaculture. And, and they're getting more into the farm-to-table. But there's also some ocean-to-table movement. And there's... Okay also some ocean-friendly 
um, restaurants out there, some criteria for restaurants to meet, and they can, you know, put a little placard up that you they're in You have any ocean. of that on your website? You like, uh, actually, no, it's something... Or some of the good ones? Yeah, we're an equal <laughs> opportunity organization here. That's actually something that the Surfrider Foundation okay. has done. Uh-huh. Speaking of sister and brother organizations yeah. i'm on the board of directors of ecology action which mm -hmm. has long worked with save our shores we yeah. we actually used to coordinate the annual coastal cleanup and then you guys took it over but uh and, and we'll have to talk afterwards about what we're doing <laughs> together these days but uh yeah so there are all these great organizations each of which sort of has its forte i think the seafood thing is more like seafood watch or something more than your it's called fish wise i think is what yeah. it's called and there's a monterey bay aquarium has a really mm -hmm. good education exhibit about yeah. fish and and how we can help them yeah. by and that is wisely. that is sea watch Joe seafood is, watch yeah. seafood, seafood watch, watch is out yeah. of the aquarium and then there is also fish wise that takes a good look at that kind of thing too speaking of the aquarium we got a question are tickets still available for save our shows events uh, September 22nd at the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Yeah, great question. Yes. Um, <laughs> tickets are, yeah, there must have been. Tickets are going fast. Um, but yeah, we have our, well, this is our 40th anniversary for oh, yeah. people who didn't know. Um, we were founded in 1978. So wow. we are, our Toast of the Coast event this year is going to really be a big benefit and gala. It's at the aquarium. We're going to have our, our own uh, Congressman Jimmy Panetta following the steps in the footsteps of his great dad. Um, we're honoring Dan Hafley, who's retiring at the end of the year, and we're going to, you know, honor him for his service to save our shores and then, you know, everything else he's done in the community and with O'Neill Sea Odyssey. And tickets are still available. Tables of six have sold out, so... Um, you know, if you're interested in, in buying a table, we've still got some tables of four, five, eight, and nine. It's kind of strange numbers, but it's the way the setup in the aquarium works. And then individual tickets, of course, are still available also. Are you going to serve seafood while these fish are looking <laughs> on? <I> mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Seems that's kind of, kind of up to the uh, uh, Santa Cruz, um, the Monterey Bay Aquarium uh, chef. I always felt a little strange having looked at all these beautiful fish, and then you go into their cafe and they're like serving fish. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm but sorry. it's all sustainable. <laughs> they're know. very, very careful. It's about just the it. irony of it. That's all. I, I know. Not I understand. Saying they were serving yeah. the beautiful, you know, fish I had just looked at. There's just something a little funny. Yeah. <laughs> Look at them, then you eat them. Well, we just we just got the menu, uh, you know, to choose our selections, which I'm eager to look into. But I'm hoping we'll have some of the the um, abalone that is being cult, uh, cultivated right in Monterey. I'm hoping we'll have some of our local seaweeds that are being grown at the Moss Landing Marine Lab. And, you oh. know, so, and the, the chef there is really great to work with and they really care. Wouldn't that be fun to have a feast that was all locally caught and was all like everything from local mussels to seaweed? Yeah, yeah. That's and a cool idea. This aquaculture, you'll have to, after the show, we'll talk about, I'm sure you probably know people we could interview uh, who are involved with that around. Oh, yeah, here. I have some great so, ideas for you around that. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. do that. Definitely, and then there are definite pros and cons, and it depends on how it's done. 
and how much right. where the waste goes. That's why we were looking at pathways to responsible right. aquaculture. Exactly. Yeah. Mm, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. So to wrap up, um, besides individual action, is there one particular piece of legislation you're watching that people could support if it were going to help the, some of these really seemingly intractable problems we've discussed today? Yeah, I would say, you know, especially on a local basis, and if people want to take action kind of now, uh, there's two bills in the state legislative uh, session under consideration right now. One is a Senate bill, SB 1775, and then the Assembly bill is AB 834. These are legislation that would uh, add additional protections to our state waters to ensure that n no oil and drilling obviously could happen there, um, but also, you know, would prevent the building of pipelines or, or other um, infrastructure that'd be required to support the oil and gas industry. So both of those have made it out of appropriations. They've been passed in their individual houses of the state legislature. Uh, and they're on suspense um, as the bills differ slightly, the Senate from the Assembly bill, and they're in the process of merging those, um, reconciling the slight differences. And the, those have to be passed by August 16th, I believe, is the last day of sessions. So if you want to help out right now, call our Senator Bill Monning, our Assemblymember Mark Stone. They are already, of course, voting in favor of these initiatives. But you can find out, you know, like maybe you've got friends who live in Santa Barbara or even in the Central Valley or Humboldt County, you know, get on the phone with your friends and relatives and ask them to call their legislators as well. Um, it's really important that we get those two bills passed here in, in our state. Thank you. And if you're listening and you're in Reading or somewhere like that, you can look up your legislators and mention those bills. Well, I want to thank you, Catherine O'Day from Save Our Shores, for being here and catching us up on all things ocean and what we can do to save our shores and the things beyond the shores, the ocean. <laughs> Thanks so much. It was great to be here. Great yeah, to have It's nice you. to meet you for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> and have a great day the rest of your day. We're going to go to Joe Jordan for some oddball stuff, as we are wont to do. Yeah, we're going to roll with some oddball. I guess. Uh, lots of odd balls coming in from space right now. We're at the peak of the one of the very best meteor showers of the year. Um, actually, one of my favorites is actually in December. Those meteors appear to fan out from the constellation Gemini, the twins. But the one that's happening right now and its peak should actually be tonight, Sunday into Monday, August 12th into 13th. And it's called the Perseid meteor shower. A friend of mine keeps calling them the Perseoids, and I'm thinking that sounds like hemorrhoids or something. But anyway, Perseid, P-E-R-S-E-I-D, and it's because they appear to fan out from the constellation of Perseus, which is rising in the northeast around midnight this time of year. And, um, well, why do different meteor showers come from different constellations? It's a function of where we're headed in space. Imagine this. you ever driven into a snow snowfall or a snowstorm at night with your high beams on? Uh, the snowflakes appear to fan out like spokes of a wheel. They're all coming parallel to each other towards you, but by perspective, they appear to fan out. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, so the Earth is barreling through space at, you know, 20-plus miles a second, like right now. Frequent flyer miles every second, 20 more miles. And so we run into all this stuff out there, and there's random stuff all over the place, but every so often we run across the, the orbit of an old comet 
or even an asteroid, and it's left all this debris strewn all along this vast long trail. And in fact, uh, the Perseids are stuffed from a comet called uh, Swift Tuttle, named after two guys, one named Swift and one named Tuttle. And every year at this time, we go through that uh, swarm of debris and it comes sparking into our atmosphere. And uh, most of them are short, but the Perseids are known to be fairly bright and pretty colorful sometimes. And of course, you can always look for the odd fireball that'll I've seen a few times in my life a shooting star that lit up the whole landscape like daylight just for a few seconds. Those are always something to look forward to. Um, well, so these fan out from Perseus, and they're best, unfortunately, most meteor showers are best after midnight because that's when you're, the Earth has spun around, so you're on the windshield of the Earth as it's driving through the snowstorm. We're on the leading edge, the bleeding edge of the Earth. But you can still see some before midnight, uh, and in fact, sometimes right around midnight, you'll get meteors that are just grazing the Earth's atmosphere at a tangent, and they'll go all the way across the sky. Those are called earth grazers. And is it best to look south, north, west, east, All, all over above? the sky. They're coming from wherever the constellation is, which is low in the northeast at midnight. And then by dawn, it's straight overhead. Perseus is straight overhead. So it depends on the time of night, but just look anywhere. They can be anywhere. So, Joe, you were just in Hawaii. How was the stargazing down oh, there? Oh, man. At South Point, the southernmost point in the whole United States, it's just this huge lava field going miles and miles down to the vast south coast of the island. You can see the ocean out there. We watched the hurricane approach in the distance. That was kind of exciting. Oh. But it was super dark down there. Nobody's down there. And I saw a whole bunch of Perseids uh, even three, four nights ago. The, the shower kind of gradually rises to a peak, which is, again, tonight. And, um, you know, no, no artificial lights, uh, hardly at all. And um, let's see, uh, it's, but, but we can see more up here because we're closer. I mean, the constellation of Perseus is in the northern hemisphere sky. Hawaii, you're, Hawaii, the advantage is you've got the center of the Milky Way galaxy right in your face. You're on the front porch of the universe. It was just <laughs> magnificent. So anyway, um, oh, and I got to say, tomorrow night, crescent moon right next to Venus. And the next night after that, next two nights, watch for the crescent moon next to Venus in the west. Well, thank so. you for all of that. And we will look for the Perseids tonight. Uh, thank you all for listening to Planet Watch for another edition. Glad to be with you on this afternoon, sharing information that you can use to save our planet. Planet Watch can be found at planetwatchradio.com. You can subscribe to our podcast. We'd love it if you did that. And you'll get it automatically delivered into your iPod or phone. And just keep an eye on the sky and look forward to having a good week. I'm Rachel Goodman with Joe Jordan. See you next time on Planet Watch.